Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith. And I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Dan McVall, and we look forward to jumping in. What's up, guys? Welcome back. And uh, before we dive into today's episode, I just want to remind everyone that, you know, hit that subscribe button if you like what we're doing. Give us some stars if you like it. Go to 5gguys.com as well to, to connect with us, comment on our shows, ask questions. Love to connect outside the podcast with you guys there on the, on our website. So, you know, today, Wayne and I thought we'd talk about what we'll call Cellular 101, kind of a, an overview of the, the history of cellular technology, how it works. If you're new to wireless, this would be a great intro. If you're already in the industry, it'll also be good because I, I bet you there'll be some unknown facts or some interesting ideas that, that we talk about that might be new to you or that you might be able to contribute to uh, on the backside in your comments. So, so with that, Wayne, what do you think? Where should we start? Let's do let's do a history on on cellular, on what we as we know it, and discuss you know discuss some of the questions that that we get from people in our lives over the year. We've been in the industry a long time. What do they commonly ask us? Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Well, so as I know, cellular really the concept was started by AT and T, and this is the AT and T back when we had one phone company for the whole country, right? This isn't right now. It was AT&T today. So, you know, there was a, a monopoly. I mean, this is the true definition of monopoly. And so AT&T, they were the, the only company that you could get phone service for nationwide for the most part. And they also were the, they had a group called Bell Labs. Bell Labs was, they were the hottest, you know, scientists in the, in the U.S. that were developing technology around, around telephone. I think AT&T actually stood for American Telephone and Telegraph. So they were really yeah. still working on telegraph machines as well as the telephone. So, but they had this concept of extending the telephone to your car. So you could effectively take your car or your, your phone with you in the car. And so they had developed a technology with a wireless radio in the trunk of the car. I mean, this thing, it filled the trunk of the car, right? And it wasn't a phone. It was like a two-way radio. And so... When they had to have a device so that when somebody called a phone number that was associated with that radio, that it would translate that and turn it into a two-way call or two-way radio call to to the two-way radio in the car. The car, we'll call it a car phone. And then, and but it was it was what's called simplex. So it was sort of like when you talk a walkie-talkie, right? You could, like I'm talking to you and you got to wait for me to stop talking so you can then talk back because we couldn't talk over each other, right? Yeah. So so that was sort of the beginning. But at the same time, they also envisioned 
this concept where you would have these radio towers all spaced next to each other throughout an area so that as the car drive would drive that that wireless connection could be handed off right and so you could have extension of that that tower that was providing that 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 car phone service and so they called that cellular because if you looked at a bunch of towers spaced out equally to each other on a map they looked like cells like think back to biology class right like literally cells right next to each other with the nucleus or the nucleus is this tower that's that's got the radio transmitters on it and so that's where the term cellular came from and AT&T sort of came up with that concept but they really didn't see it as you know they saw it as a very expensive very niche thing where there would might be a thousand people in the country doing it right businessmen that needed to leave the office and use the phone in their car Right. Well, I have a funny story that I can add to that. Back in 1990, I think it was around 1991. So I was doing commercial construction, working out, and my boss said, hey, you should try this bag phone, right? And I was working remote projects in southwestern Virginia. That tool in itself revolutionized how construction was done. I was building this giant building, needed concrete, Back in the olden days, you either had to plan it before you went there or you couldn't do it. So I used that mobile phone in order to call in my concrete delivery, get my materials there. So it really impacted my life before the technology becoming you could see. Yeah. A funny antidote to that story is I didn't realize how much it cost at that time. And so I had this brand new bag phone and I'm driving back to see my family, you know, good three hour drive. Well, I'm talking on that phone for an hour. <laughs> calling all my buddies up. We're chatting it up. Hey, where are you at? I'm driving down the highway. I would just say this. A few weeks later, we got the bill. It was like 1700 bucks for that one, one phone call back in the day. So very interesting how cellular, you know, it was that. And it was revolutionary to how things were done. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, but we're really, from that point, if it would have been up, just up to AT&T, I don't Yeah what we know as cellular today would have ever happened. What what really brought it to the forefront was Motorola because AT&T mm. hired Motorola to build these radios for the cars. Well, there was a group at Motorola that they saw well beyond what AT&T saw. They saw innovation of everybody being able to have a phone with them anywhere they went, walking around on the street. So that concept of what we know as a cell phone was really a lot of credit goes to, to Motorola for that. And Motorola really pushed AT&T hard. And they, they actually were the first company to ever make what a, cell, a portable cell phone call, as we know today. They invented the first handheld cell phone. They made the first call back in, I think it was 1983, on a cellular network using a portable phone. And as a matter of fact, they the person, Marty Cooper, was the lead engineer there. And actually, we hope to have, hope to have Marty on a future episode with us. But Marty's a great guy. He's been around forever. He made the first call to AT&T. Wow. it in their face, right? And be like, look what I did. We beat you to the punch. And so, you know, fast forward, though, from 1983 until the very first cellular network was built and commercially had a commercial phone call, was almost 10 years, almost another 10 years before that happened because they had to be built and, you know, the, the technology had to 
be built that interface cellular network to the public telephone network so that it worked like a phone, not like a two-way radio. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So so that's that takes you to like what the early nineties. These networks were analog. So you know, your your radio in the car, that right, FM radio. That's what the early cell phones were. They were analog. You heard it on that bag phone, right? You could get cropped yeah. where you could hear somebody else's conversation because you were using the same channel as another cell site. You remember those days? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You um, also learned really quickly about the drop call because <laughs> they were done. They were not done via software as they were later in time. And hard drops happened all the time. Yeah. So very. Very cool. Yep. So that's that's early '90s, and then and then at that time, the FCC they gave out licenses to whoever the local phone company was in the market got a license. So think U.S. West in Colorado, Bell Atlantic in the East Coast, Pac Bell in California. They got a license to do cellular deployments, and then there was one competitive license that they gave out to other companies. So there was companies like Cellular One, Craig McCaw was you know one of those companies. So you had a duopoly in every market. So you had two cellular phone providers in every market until 1990, 94, 95, that the FCC finally realized the value of this to society. The world was getting ahead of us in Europe and in Japan with deployment of a digital technology. And so they, they auctioned off licenses for an additional, up to six additional competitors in every market in the US. So all of a sudden in 1995 or so, we now had what was a duopoly now had upwards of eight competitors in every market. And man, that's when that's when the heyday of cellular really hit. Because now companies like who I worked for Sprint at the time, companies you were helping with at the time, you, you, were, what you, you helped uh, companies like uh, Western Wireless, Wayne, mm-hmm. right? Thousands and thousands of cell sites all over the country deploying networks like faster than we can think about and uptake. People were now buying phones and it wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, you know, something for a rich guy anymore. It was a common person could now afford it. It wasn't 1700 bucks for an hour's phone call anymore, right? It was, you know, it was five cents a minute. It wasn't a buck a minute, right? Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you talk about the history of things, it's interesting that you mentioned the analog side of it. When was the real change from analog to digital as we know it was it in the, was it in the two thousand early two thousands two thousand three when they created EVDO or three G networks or you want to get into a little bit about that Dan about the differences between yeah. three yeah sure so well there's a lot of differences that'll be another episode we're really digging the differences between the G's right three G four G but in the U S what we would call today one G we didn't call it that back then. That you're right. That that was analog, like we talked about. The conversion to 2G was at the same time that these six new competitors came into the marketplace. So with those competitors came, hey, we don't want this legacy analog stuff anymore. So that was the very first digital, we'll call it 2G cellular network. So that was in 95, 96 in the US. But in Europe, there some of their 1G networks started out digital from the get-go. They weren't ever analog. And so... Mm-hmm. The, was years behind the rest of the world. Japan, same thing. There was digital technologies deployed from the beginning. So we were at a major disadvantage in the U.S. trying to catch up. But uh, yeah, so the first digital networks were, were 95, 96 with the launch of all of these new competitors, CDMA, GSM, and these are acronyms that we don't want to 
overwhelm people with. You can go to 5GGuys.com and we'll have a list of acronyms. If you ever hear us spit something out, you're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? You look it up, find out more about it. But so yeah, so that's 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 what it looked like in the US. Man, it's crazy how how quickly that from the early days in the concept of cellular in the mass, like in the being in my career, we were building for companies like Sprint and those, and we were building thousands of sites. Because one thing unique about cellular, give us a little bit about like the network. Back in those days, they were really powerful and they went for miles versus, you know, kind of what they became of where we're at today with cell, you know, cellular, correct? Yeah, for sure. So the first, so those analog cell phones, like that bag phone you were using, it transmitted about three watts of power. Um, and then, you know, the the first flip phones that some of us might have had that Motorola made, the little clamshell phones, those were about one watt of power. The phones we have today, their max power is like 250 milliwatts. That's on the on the handset side, that's the difference. On the cell site side, you know, we were building... My first job, 200 foot, 400 foot, 800 foot tall tower that would cover 10, 15 miles easy. You know, we're putting cell sites on top of mountains. So yeah, it was very different back then. Today, a typical cell site might be 10 feet to tall and would be 80 feet. Mm -hmm. Definitely a big difference. I mean, we, I think I heard one time Denver launched their first cellular network with something like eight cell sites. And I think a typical network now in a, a, a metropolitan area the size of Denver, which is like the 20th largest network in the U.S., might have, you know, thousands of cell sites. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I heard at one time they're probably somewhere close to 12,000 with the big three. Now, they some could be single cell sites or co-locations, but they're all it's what it takes to cover a metropolitan area like the size of Denver. Right. Very cool. Yep. What do you think, you know, about the different aspects of cellular as it says, you know, health, security, you know, lack of awareness. Those are some topics that come up. Yeah, I think the biggest one is education and lack of aware- awareness. I think that the more society learns about the technology and how the technology works, what it is, what it isn't. It does a couple things. One, it, it enables users to really take the technology beyond what we as technologists intended it to be, right? You know, we think we know what, you know, you take Facebook, for example. I, I don't think Zuckerberg ever imagined it becoming what it is today, right? Once users got a hold of it, and they turned it into what it's become in a lot of ways. And the same with the wireless technology, you know, the more that People understand how it works, what's safe about it, what things may may need to be aware about for safety, for example, then users really can take the technology and create use cases for things beyond what the technologists like us could ever imagine. I don't think, you know, 3G and 4G networks, for example, were ever built thinking about the fact that we were going to have kids with VR headsets playing Pokemon. Yeah. Well, definitely, for sure. Things definitely changed. And the use of the device has definitely taken on its own existence. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, you know, I've I've been in zoning hearings, for example, 
helping to explain to the city council or the, what sort of safety standards were behind it, things that the FCC puts in place to make sure that the technology is, is deployed safely. The scientists and the doctors and the technologists that have been behind the development of standards to make sure deployment is done safely. My experience has been that a lot of the concerns and questions that people might have, they're legit when you don't know any different. But then when we can sit down and educate people about it, people can kind of calm their fears a little bit and be more accepting of the technology where the industry might be acting irresponsibly, intentionally or unintentionally. So I do think that education in general for the entire population is a huge aspect of, of technology advancing. That's great. I mean, you know, like I think one of the misunderstood things is technology moves at such a fast pace and different generations of users do it. And what I mean by that is, like for most of the generation, you know, prior to the Internet and that side of it, they were used to FM frequencies and FM antennas and that part. of. And, and with that, they were really powerful microwave driven antennas that if you got in front of them, you could and even the TV side of it, you could get in front of them, you could get, you could be harmed by the rays coming out of them. Well, but wireless definitely in technology in the mobile world definitely has changed rapidly after that. And those antennas and that power coming all that are not, not near as intense. I think early, the reason was in the olden days, they just wanted to broadcast as large and far as they could to get coverage out there. And then through the cellular world and the changing of technology, that it was more strategic to have certain coverage in certain areas to make sure that the user experience improves. So you could do the technology like VR and gaming and watching YouTube videos or whatever you want on your phone. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What else? You know, I think the other thing, tell me what are, what are, when, when you're at a, you're at a party, you're at a, a gathering and people find out that you work in wireless telecom. What are some of the questions they ask you? What are the most common questions that people ask you that they had no idea about wireless? So first one, which is always awkward. I'm telling somebody what we're doing. They're like, hey, my phone keeps dropping this call at this area, right? Or how come it doesn't work in the mountains as well as it works in the cities? You know, I have a great, I can't get any cell service. The number one they ask me these days how do I get great coverage at my house? Right. And so these are all questions around the signal integrity around it, but that that's probably the most common for me. Always, I always struggled telling people what we did because from a 50,000 foot view, we are actually connecting society. But as you get down lower into it, yeah, we're building networks to make sure we fill gaps in coverage. But I think those cover the questions around coverage which one is better? You, Wayne, you get to travel across the country. Do you like AT&T? Do you like Verizon? Interesting enough, I carried two phones for years to overcome the gap in coverage. I mean, literally an AT&T phone and a Verizon phone. And so I think the questions around coverage is one of the first ones. How can you help me at my home? It would be one of the the close seconds. I get random calls from people I met years ago. Hey, we're going to get this house in the middle of the national forest. How do I get broadband there? I don't know. Do you have power? <laughs> right. But I think those are it, Dan. So if you want to tee on some of those 
those questions for sure. Yeah, I get a lot of the same ones. I get a lot of people saying, hey, I'm going to get a new cell phone. Who's got the best service? I get that all. And you know what I tell yeah. them is, well, it depends. Where are you going to use it? Where do you yeah. Where do you work? Where do you play? Because the reality is, is they all have better networks in different places. And, you know, wireless is not a f- bulletproof technology. It just isn't. Like, you get mm-hmm. in the, the wine cellar of an old castle 20 feet underground, and it's not going to get any wireless in there. I don't care, you know. So I, I try to help people understand that it's important to understand what you're using it for and where you're using it. And then, I, you know, I point them to, and we'll get into this in some later episodes, but there are a ton of resources out there where you can go see independent studies of every carrier, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, where they work well, coverage is good, where speeds are higher. And I just point people there and I'm like, just go look for yourself. Go look where you use it and that'll help you make your decision. Because it has become such a strong branding story for all these companies. Here's a good one for you. So don't you agree that the marketing comes before the technology? Today, yes. It wasn't always yeah. today, but yes. It's really turned into it lately, isn't it? Like, hey, Wayne, we want 5G. Well, so do we, but we have to build it first. A lot of people, you know, they definitely want to speed for a lot of different reasons. But I think marketing in today's world with the with the proliferation of the internet and the connected user side, they're way marketing years, if if not multi-years in advance of the technology becoming widespread. I think one one common question, too, I throw at you, Dan, is, you know, like unlike other countries, we have a set of rules in our country that that we have to keep legacy technology around a lot longer than other countries. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Because people want to know, why are you still talking about 3G? So, yeah. So everything in the U.S. is is um, regulated by the FCC. Federal Communication Commission. So the FCC, they regulate everything in terms of TV, cable, radio. And one of the things they hold regulation over is the public airwaves. So the, the airwaves, that that ether, that radio frequency waves propagate through to allow things like walkie-talkies, cell phones, you know, the little thing they give you at the, the little pager they give you at the restaurant that lets let you know that your table's ready. All of that is regulated by the FCC. And the FCC has to figure out what's the best use of that because it's all public. It's public. It's considered public in the U.S. None of it's considered private. Now, the FCC can give a private company like a Verizon or an AT&T exclusive uses of pieces of that public spectrum, but they are required to operate in a manner that is within the bounds that the FCC requires, i.e. health and safety, right? If one of those carriers does not comply with what is considered safe in terms of the way they deploy radio frequency technology, they can lose that license. If they don't deploy enough service where the public benefits from the use of that spectrum, they can take that license back and give it to somebody else, for example. So so I think that's one area that for people to understand is that the FCC really is the regulating agency. And so that's done at the federal level. But at the local level, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen to put that technology to use, i.e. building a cell site. And that gets down to state and local regulations and oversight, right? Zoning, building permitting, things like that. So it's a pretty complicated process to understand how this all fits together. 
And um, and it can be overwhelming and daunting for some, but you know, there's a lot of people out there, like in our world, that that know how to do this, know how to do it quite well. So I don't know if that's exactly the question, but that for sure is one area that that I would speak to on that front. Yeah, well, I think it's really important to let our listeners know that. Yeah, there's a lot of big corporations doing it, but the government actually runs the FCC, who manages the airwaves and you know the licensing of it in order to get capacity. I think in later episodes, we can probably talk about coverage and, and like some of the geographical areas that have issues because the license and spectrum is broken up between so many different competitors that one doesn't have a block enough, big enough to provide great coverage. Right. And Denver is one of those markets from my understanding, right? That it was broken up in a weird way over the years and that spectrum is definitely not always conducive to great coverage. Yeah, Dan. So one other question that sticks out is, you know, what is a cell site? Why do so many people think a cell site is a tower? Can you give us a little insight on, you know, what a cell site is and just to enlighten our listeners of the different types and and use cases? Yeah. And I get that question a lot too. People always, people always ask me about that cell tower, right? So when we first deployed networks back, you know, in the nineties, they were all, you know, big, tall towers, 200 footers, 400 footers, 800 footers, like I talked about, but really people think the tower is the cell site. And that actually goes back to AM radio In AM radio. The frequency band that AM uses is got such a large frequency bandwidth that the tower is the antenna. And so everyone assumes the tower is the cell site, but really all the tower is, is a mechanism to get antennas up in the air above the buildings so that the radio waves can cover further. Well, as technology and adoption has advanced today, we have so much densification of users. We have more phones in the U S than we have people. So that tells that's crazy, right? That we have multiple people that have multiple phones, and then you add to it that wireless parking meter and all of these machines that are using cellular networks. You know, three G. One of the reasons three G is still around is because AT and T has something like one point five million home security devices using a three G phone. So we can't just get rid of three G because of that. But I'm digressing. So what's happened over time is these cell sites have limited capacity. So We've had to shrink the size of them over time so they become smaller and smaller and smaller and have more of them to get the overall network capacity to be larger. So think of it as like a cell site's an apple vendor and each apple cart can only carry so many apples. And the more people want to buy apples, you have to have more and more apple cart vendors spread out over the same area. Same thing as a cell site, right? So we our cell sites now, there's cell sites that are 10, 15 feet tall and they're not on towers at all. You'd be surprised where cell sites are around you in your neighborhood driving around. They are hidden inside of people have seen fake trees. I'm sure you've heard people. Yeah. Know that, right. And, you know, I don't think their industry's done a great job. Some of them look so bad that it's embarrassing. But there are cell sites that are behind, you know, signs, at the grocery store. There are cell sites that are hidden inside of church steeples. People don't have any idea how many cell sites around them. I guarantee you from wherever you're sitting right now that if you knew what you're looking for, you could see easily a dozen cell sites, line of sight from where you're sitting if you went outside, but you don't know they're there because they're so small and so hidden. And that's not to mention the cell sites that are inside the shopping mall, inside the airport, 
or inside your wireless router at your home that you don't even know is helping to extend cell phone service to your home. Some really cool stuff. So that is that is one that I think as people start to learn that, you know, that's the way that this has become such a, a broad covering technology over the years. But having said that, we still have parts of the U.S. that have no service, none whatsoever. And we got to figure that out. I definitely think that we went through a growth period that we all wanted service everywhere. And now we may be going to a point where we look forward to those places that we don't have service <laughs> so that we can disconnect from our device, the notifications and being connected at will. And we enjoy some of the peace out there that's you know, just given by not connected. But those places are very few and far between. And our expectation of networks, Dan, I think is crazy now. You know, before we just wanted to make a call. Then we want to make a call and get text messages. Now we want to get on there no matter where it is and do Facebook and look at videos and look at Instagram and just watch YouTube videos or live stream sports. So the need and the demand has definitely changed and it'll change the evolution of what, you know, cell sites look like. Right. And as we move forward. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and it's going beyond society in the public realm as well. I mean, it's it's going inside factories for Industry 2.0 and and you know automation of of robots and you you know you name it. It's we'll get into some really cool stuff in future episodes. So, well, my man, this is I think this has been a good kind of refresher for me, a reminder myself of where I came from in the industry and kind of that what came before me. And 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 I think it's good to remember and reflect on this stuff. Anything else you want to add on your front? No, I mean, I, I think I'm extremely grateful to be part of an industry that's evolved. You know, we, I look forward to talking about like the evolution of the iPhone and what that did for our industry, you know, and how that device changed a lot of the ways that we work. I definitely want to pay tribute in these episodes to the people who actually put in the work and get out there and climb those 200 foot towers and the contractors who, you know, put in fiber in the ground, who make all of this happen. So super excited. I think it's a good history on Cellular 101. We could probably go deeper and do total episodes on some of the technology. But I love where you went with it. And I think it's a great way to you know, end this episode. Awesome. Well, as always, guys, I uh, got to say, you know, go to 5Gguys.com. Check us out. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a rating, comment if you have questions, if we got something wrong, ideas for future episodes. We want to hear from you and connect with you. So until next time, thanks and uh, see you again. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5Gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 